Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's Tuesday, February 22nd, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, uh, the, you just got back from a quick trip to Florida, but the owners and the players are still down there, uh, still discussing, still talking. Uh, yours was more of a, a little getaway. This is uh, actually, uh, you know, they're, they're actually meeting for the first time uh, in, in to, to sort of get together and meet every day and sort of get things hammered out. There were some proposals on Monday. Uh, what do we, what do we think of the progress so far? Yeah. You know, I guess anytime you're in the same room and talking, Joe, there's a, there's a hope for a, you know, a breakthrough, a hope for some progress. Um, I don't think there was a, you know, I don't think you can, you know, let's say this, the, the lockout didn't end uh, on Monday, uh, but it's encouraging that, you know, they're going to meet again to, uh, today on Tuesday. And uh, there was some, you know, this, this thing is like this thing. You could time this thing or clock this thing by a sand dial because each seem, each side seems to be making, you know, the smallest, the minute, the most minuscule kind of, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, concessions that they can. So uh, yesterday uh, the owners uh, went from 15 to 20 million for the bonus pool. And uh, and that would cover 30 players, you know, 30 players that you know, are, are, are not eligible for arbitration. But the players have already proposed, you know, a $115 million bonus pool covering 150 players. So, you know, I mean, that's that's a big gap. I mean, uh, draft lottery, you know, which would be a, a tool against tanking, which, uh, you know, the players are really pushing hard for. The owners went, uh, you know, increased uh, from from the first three picks to the first four picks that would be included in the draft draft lottery. Uh, The players are still, you know, have 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 requested that the top eight picks be involved, and that would involve all teams that didn't make the uh, the playoffs from the previous year. So, you know, I, I guess you you know. Four, you know, there's there's some room for a compromise there. That that seems a little, little better grip on uh, a little better chance of, you know, some middle ground being found. And uh, but still no progress on you know, the uh, you know competitive balance tax or the the luxury tax. Um, players, the owners are still want to start off in the first year of the uh, 
the new basic agreement at 214 million players are still, you know, want to start at 245, 245 million. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. And there were some small steps, some like, I guess, baby steps in terms of uh, concessions by, by the owners there uh, in terms of they backed off their proposal to cut minor league roster spots. Uh, I think there was a, uh, you know, there was talk about cutting from a max of 180 down to a max of 150, uh, and they withdrew that. Uh, they also withdrew their proposal to uh, limit the number of options that are uh, no, number of times a player can be optioned back and forth uh, during the season, uh, during an option year. Or so, uh, you know, little baby steps like that. But again, we're not getting at the the big core issues, and the big one that seems to be looming out there is that. Uh, that big figure that you just mentioned, the the competitive balance tax, otherwise commonly referred to as the luxury tax. Uh, when are they going to roll up their sleeves and get going on the the big dog, the big the big elephant in the room, and and get that taken care of so that these negotiations can move forward quickly? Yeah, well, they're supposed to meet every day this week, so it's that's got to be broached. You can't ignore it. So, uh, you know, I would think, uh, you know, when you know, it's if if the you know the, the owners have said that they've got to have a deal in place by February 28th uh, to to make sure the season starts on time, which you know opening day is March 31st. So you know it, it it's pretty evident that you know so somewhere in the next few days here it's going to be talked about, and we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know I I read somewhere where you know they. Um, they, uh, the owners had not broached it. They they were kind of uh, you know waiting for for another proposal by the players if they had anything to say about that, and then they would counteract that. So we'll see how that goes. Yes or no? Feeling that uh, they're gonna have some things wrapped up by the twenty eighth. That we're we're gonna get uh, at least that part taken care of, so we can see what the next step is and, and get moving towards you know, uh, getting players in and getting them on time to, to get ready for, for the regular season. I don't know, Joe, this, this thing is moving like molasses. I, I, I just can't see them in the next four days, all of a sudden they're going to cover so much ground here. But the thing is, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, they're polar opposites here. They're out, they're on the same page. They're not, they're just, or I guess they're in the same book. They're not on the same page. Right. Yeah. They're, they're just a little far away on, on a few big things here uh, and, and maybe the, the time crunch will, will get them closer as we move, move forward. All right. Uh, moving forward for us, uh, a, a little bit of news to take care of. Uh, we, we found out uh, yesterday that uh, a former Cleveland pitcher, uh, lefty reliever Oliver Perez uh, announced that after uh, more than you know, 20 years in professional baseball, He's going to be retiring after pitching in 2022, but he's not going to try and pitch in the majors. He's going to pitch in the Mexican league for the Tijuana Toros. Uh, that's where he went after uh, April of last year when uh, he was waived by Cleveland uh, at the end of April after making the club out of spring training. Uh, he pitched in Tijuana after, after that, and he's going to hit, going to pitch one more season uh, for Oliver Perez and then, and then call it quits. Uh, what do you think of Oliver hanging up the cleats? Well, I think, you know, he's had a great career. What a great guy too. Just, just a nice man. Um, 
you know, I think what, what Joe, he had like, when he, when the Indians released him, I think he had like a ERA right around two, I don't mm-hmm. know, two point. So, I mean, he goes off into the sunset, at least the uh, big league sunset with that. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I just thought he was, you know, really, uh, uh, he really helped the Indians in the three, or the Cleveland in their three years, that or three, two, two plus years that they had him. It was a good addition to the bullpen and just a, you know, a, a veteran guy that, you know, when people, when he spoke, people listened to him and, uh, you know, just a great career. And uh, I think, you know, he's from Mexico. He, he, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, for a guy that, you know, did it all a starter closer and then a left on left guy. So uh, he's had a great career. Yeah. 2004, probably his best year as a starter uh, led the majors in uh, strikeouts for nine was uh, I, I believe he had something like 13, 14 wins that year. So, uh, you know, he, he was able to do it as a front of the rotation starter. He was able to do it in, in relief and as, a, as a, a guy you could sort of lean on. Terry Francona certainly leaned on him in 2018 uh, down the stretch. He really rescued the bullpen that year. Uh, that was sort of the, the catchphrase that everybody said after, after that 2018 season. Oliver Perez really stepped in, and, and Terry Francona used him a lot. Uh, down the stretch, and he pitched to a, a sub two ERA was was really reliable. And then you know you never knew what you got. My favorite with with Oliver Perez was the the variety of deliveries that he had, and the hesitations, and the the start and stop, and the twists, and 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 all that. The quick pitches. Uh, he he taught that to Nick Wickren. Nick Wickren carried that on. You could see his influence all over the place, uh, and he was just like you said, a, a real joy. I always had a soccer ball out on the field during pregame. Right, uh, right. Worked on his foot agility and all that. So, uh, just a, a, a great guy to be around. I, he has like what well, he has like eight kids, right? He has like there were there was a video that was posted on Twitter of his retirement announcement, and Oliver was surrounded by all of his kids. Uh, maybe maybe all of them. I don't know. There was, and and he kept. I think one of them was born while he was in Cleveland. So yeah, you know, right, was, right. There's uh, he's 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 gonna he's going on diaper duty for uh, in his retirement, so should be good. And the thing is, Joe, I mean, he really got hurt by that three batter rule. I think mm-hmm. you know that really limited the way uh, Francona could use him, and really kind of maybe knocked him out of the league. He could have maybe pitched another year or so. Speaking of uh, Tito, uh, the manager and coaching staff for the Guardians are in or have reported to Goodyear, uh, at least for the minor league portion of camp, to sort of observe uh, what's going on with the minor leaguers. And uh, they will be there, I, I believe, uh, you know, we'll have access to them beginning uh, March 1st. But uh, it should be interesting just to see uh, what, what Tito and, and his thoughts are on at least the player evaluation of the guys that he can talk about there, uh, you know, the the guys who aren't on the 40-man roster. and the minor leaguers who are, are going to be in camp, uh, you know, at least putting in the work uh, until this uh, labor situation gets resolved. Yeah. Uh, they've got uh, like 90 of the 90 players in camp. Um, you know, all the, you know, I guess the top prospects are the best, the best 90 players they can have that aren't on the 40 man. So, you know, all those number one picks, recent number one picks, that aren't, you know, weren't eligible uh, for the, for the rule five 
will be in camp and uh, it should be, it should be interesting. And, you know, they've got, they've already got the minor league instructors in there. And I think most of these players have been there for a couple of weeks. So, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, Francona and the, the big league staff is anxious to get going and do something. So this, this should be a good thing for them. Well, and Tito will have access to the aquatic center, right? He'll uh, he'll be able to do his swim his laps and uh, and get in the pool. So, uh, all all very important to make sure that he's healthy and ready to go for the uh, the start of the season. Definitely, definitely. Whenever that may or may not be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's uh, let's get into our top twenty five uh, Cleveland baseball most memorable personalities. I guess we'd have to call it for this one because. Because this one wasn't a wasn't necessarily a player. Uh, he did manage uh, briefly in 1989, uh, but but most of uh, uh, this individual's time was spent in the front office, uh, you know, making moves and basically becoming the architect of those uh, mid 90s dynasty uh, teams that that won consecutive AL Central Division championships. Uh, credited with a lot of the moves for that. It was a two-time executive of the year in 1994 and 95. Uh, Hoinsey, who are we talking about today on the podcast? It's got to be John Hart, uh, Joe. John Hart, the general manager, uh, the guy that uh, really kind of, you know, came, you know, uh, Hank Peters brought him in from uh, from Baltimore where he, you know, managed in the uh, Orioles minor league system. Then, uh, you know, was uh, the Orioles third base coach. And uh, when Hank came over and became, uh, you know, the general manager in Cleveland, um, uh, you know, John Hart was one of his first hires. What was it that that Hank Peters necessarily saw in in John Hart? As he, he was a, a minor league manager of the, of the year in the Baltimore organization. So really, this is a guy who could have followed a, a managerial path and what where's the the sort of changeover that happens where he becomes an executive and not a an on field guy yeah i think uh you know they, they really you know hart had a good way uh, uh john had a great you know way of uh, evaluating players he, he he was a good player evaluator and uh hank and you know he when he uh you know stepped in for doc edwards after doc got fired in uh, 1989 for the last, what, 18, 19 games of the season, you know, uh, Hank told him, you know, I think you could manage in the big leagues, but uh, sometimes, you know, if you're, if you do manage, uh, you don't get the team you want and uh, you, you don't get the players you want. You know, a lot of things are out of your control. I think you'd be better suited for, uh, for this role as, as a general manager to replace me. He really kind of brought John over. He, he had that thought that <clears throat> eventually he was going to be the next general manager. And that's what he groomed him for. It, it, it didn't take long for them to get the team that they wanted on the field. I mean, it was only a, a couple of short seasons after, uh, you know, like you mentioned, that, that brief 89 uh, stint as, at the end of the year. Uh, it, did it start with identifying maybe Mike Hargrove as a guy who they wanted to be in the, the managerial spot? I think that was one of the things, you know, Hank made the big deal, you know, to, uh, Joe, you know, he sent Joe Carter to San Diego. Then he got, you know, that brought him Alomar and Bayerga. 
And then, uh, you know, John, as soon as he, you know, replaced uh, Hank in, in the winter of 1991, uh, he went out and, and made the deal for Kenny Lofton for Eddie Taubensy and Willie Blair from Houston. And, you know, they started accumulating guys like that. They started making deals. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, that was part of it. And then, you know, Grover, of course, you know, replacing uh, McNamara, John McNamara, you know, halfway through the 1991 season. So they had, the, they had a young manager, they had a young front office, and they had a lot of young, talented players that they were, they, they were uh, you know, accumulating. You know, Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and Albert Bell. They had, uh, you know, they, they were, you know, their, their farm system was, you know, producing at a high rate. And they were also, you know, they moved into uh, Jacobs Field in, in uh, 92, what, 92, 93. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that was part of it. And they were able to add, you know, veteran guys, you know, uh, uh, Dennis Martinez, Eddie, Mur Eddie Murray, Jack Morris, uh, Tony Pena. And they really had a, a good, uh, uh, you know, a good blend of, of minor league. I mean, uh, you know, young, young, young guys and uh, veteran guys. He, uh, he pulls off the deal that gets Omar Vizquel and, uh, you know, comes over for the, uh, the 94 season. And uh, they, they basically give up what uh, Felix for they, they trade him Felix for me. I mean, yeah. he, that's, that's about as big a fleecing as this is a 13 time, you know, gold glove winner. He'd already won gold gloves in Seattle. This was uh, a, the, a key piece for that, you know, that, that nineties run. Uh, these are the kinds of deals that, that make you an executive of the year when at that time. Yeah. Hart was so excited when, after he made the Vizquel deal that, you know, he couldn't believe he'd, he'd made it. So he had to go to winter ball in Venezuela where Omar was playing just to watch him, just to watch him play to make sure, you know, he had got the guy he thought he got. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he was, he was that, he said that was, you know, kind of the, the, the really kind of the glue that, that brought that team together because, you know, Omar was going to play defense. They had so many offensive players, you know, they had Carlos at second base. They, they had that outfield, they had Tommy, you know, they had Sandy, uh, but they, they needed that one little, that one, that one defensive element and, and uh, this gal brought it. For, for all of the, uh, you know, the great moves and, and the, the work moves that, that worked out and resulted in championships and, and world series runs, you know, there had to be one or two real stinkers in there that, you know, every, every general manager or executive has uh, what's, what's one or two that, that maybe stand out in your mind as, you know, they, they maybe tried to pull something off and couldn't get it done. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, uh, the Brian Giles trade was, was, you know, one that you can't, you know, you can't get around. That was, you know, this is a guy that what I think he hit in his career went on to hit 300 plus home runs, mm -hmm. and uh, you know that they gave him up for a reliever, a, a reliever that did not last very long, and uh, with with Pittsburgh, uh, you know Richie Sexton in I think in uh, maybe 90 91, you know they were trying to make the postseason again, trying to get back to the postseason. And uh, they traded him another 300 home run guy, I think, or a lot. I don't know if he hit exactly 
over 300 home runs, but a great power hitter. And G the, the Indians were so good at that point that Giles and Sexton, you know, weren't playing full time. They couldn't, they couldn't right. crack they the couldn't lineup. They couldn't crack the lineup, right. And, uh, you know, but, you know, those are big, big bats that, you know, that, that, that really would have looked good later on in their careers if, if they could have stayed in Cleveland. And, and for all the success, you know, the, the knock on those, some, some of those nineties teams was, and ironically enough, as if you look at, uh, at Cleveland now, uh, the knock on some of those nineties teams was they had the offense, they had the defense. They just didn't quite have enough pitching. Uh, it, it, it sometimes over their pitching, you know, the it ran out at the, at the worst possible time. You know, this is a, a general manager brought in Oral Hershiser, who, you know, found new life in, in Cleveland. And uh, Dennis Martinez, they got the most out of him when, when, they, when they signed him. Uh, it wasn't for a lack of trying to bring in guys uh, that, that John Hart, you know, made moves. And, and he, he tried to get the pitching, uh, you know, that, that would have won them a championship, and it just never materialized. Yeah, they brought in Jack McDowell the one year, and uh, Jack had a one decent year. You know, he's coming off a Cy Young uh, campaign with the uh, the White Sox and got hurt. And, you know, he he kind of floundered. Uh, Dave Burba, I thought, was a good deal. You know, they traded Sean Casey for him. They cost him Sean Casey, but Burba, you know, gave him everything he could. But then he got hurt what that in 1999 in the postseason against right. Boston. I think, uh, you know, Jarrett Wright was a guy they, they really made, uh, you know, uh, they drafted and signed Bartolo Colon, you know, so the, the, the guys were there, but it, like you said, Joe, it, CC Sabath, well, no, CC came later. Well, well, I don't know. I think CC debuted after, after Hart was already gone. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, CC, I mean, uh, uh, Bartolo and, and, uh, Jarrett Wright, Charlie Nagy, they, they but they, they just didn't have that one big guy. They, I know they were at one point, they were trying to make a deal for either Pedro or, 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 uh, um, or the big unit and uh, Rand, Randy Johnson. And, and they just, he just wouldn't give up. He didn't want to give up certain players. And, uh, you know, so maybe would, that wouldn't put them over the top. What was Hart like, you know, when, when it wasn't, when you were covering him and, and trying to get access to him and talking to him, you know, during games or off the field or away, uh, you know, at, at the park, but not necessarily, you know, on the field there, what, what was it like uh, just covering him as a, as a general manager of the team? He was great. He would, he, he could talk. He, <laughs> he, he could, I remember in, uh, in, yeah. <laughs> In in '97, when they got when they were playing the the Marlins in the World Series, we were in Florida, and uh, you know everybody's on the field, you know during BP during I think it was a workout day, and uh, you know there would be a, a a circle of reporters around uh, around John for about 45 minutes. Then those those guys would leave. Another circle would be around them for 45 minutes. Then they would leave. He never stopped talking. He you know, he, he was, uh, he, he was, he was a fun guy to talk to, you know, and he really had, you know, he, you know, he had played, he played in the minors, he'd managed in the minors, he coached in the big leagues, he had, you know, he had a, you know, totally different kind of uh, background than a lot of GMs do today. You know, you think about it, he, he didn't, you know, he wasn't going to a Harvard, he wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't analytically inclined, but the thing I think that, that 
really helped him. He wasn't afraid to surround himself with guys that were smarter than him or knew, you know, were had different strength. You know, Danny O'Dowd and 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 Shapiro and and uh, you know uh, Chris Chris Antonetti and Josh Burns. All those guys, uh, you know, a lot of them that went on to to be general managers. Um, you know, he you know he he. He, you know, he, he listened to them and, and, you know, he, he brought them into the uh, developmental process. And he, he, he used to tell me, he used to go to, when he went to bed at night, he'd have a yellow legal pad by his bedside. And if he woke up during the night with an idea, he'd have to write it down. And, 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 you know, so he was, he, he was one of those guys that uh, it, it never stopped. You know, he never stopped thinking about baseball. And I remember one of the greatest, one of his greatest disappointments when he talks about Cleveland is the 94 team, Joe, where, mm-hmm. where the strike shut them off. They were a game out uh, a first place behind uh, the White Sox. And he really took, really believed that that was a playoff team. And, uh, you know, he said when, when, the, you know, finally, when, uh, you know, Seeley canceled the world series, and he said he just walked the ballpark. He would walk the ballpark, looking out, and and just kind of you know, he was so disappointed that the season had ended, and they he didn't get a chance to uh, you know see this team that him and O'Dowd and that so many people had built to really kind of you know take off. And uh, he even made a trade. He, he traded for Dave Winfield during the strike. So right. I mean, it was the, the baseball, his baseball mind never turned off. And, you know, and, and finally, you know, they got, they got, they got what they were looking for in 95. And yeah, wasn't that Winfield trade for like, uh, wasn't the, 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 the return on that, like dinner for the, uh, the Blue Jays. Uh, executive yeah. Something staff. like that. Yeah. It was, it was crazy, but yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it's funny you talk about it. He, he was always talking. He was always thinking. So when when you mentioned the the legal pad next to his his bedstand, I wonder if he needed a the astronaut pen like uh, Jerry Seinfeld needed that could write upside down. Uh, but that's <laughs> that's an aside. Uh, it, it's funny you you talk. He's always talking. He he has a career. He goes on, and he's the the general manager in Texas, and he's you know involved in the Alex Rodriguez deal that sent him to uh, New York, and then he goes on. He's he's a, he's the president of baseball operations in Atlanta and, you know, he's working, you know, John Sherholt's a good friend of his uh, for, for so long. Uh, Then he goes on, he's, he's a a commentator and a contributor on major league baseball network and MLB radio. And, and, you know, he's, he's constantly talking there and we, 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 we get uh, his, his thoughts and his expertise. You you mentioned how he, he wasn't necessarily an analytics guy, but like you said, he had the background where, the eye test for him was all he needed. He knew how to evaluate players, you know, without analytics. He knew if Kenny Lofton was a guy who was going to be a hit, you know, back in the minors for Houston, and and that worked out. So I I just, you, you, you kind of, there's no substitute. Nowadays, yes, the guys go to Harvard, and they they look at computers all day, and they, they put together baseball teams, but uh, there's no substitute for what the way John Hart was sort of trained and, and grew in the game and then had success, you know, at, at that level. Yeah, d- definitely. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that was a high school baseball coach, a high, you know, high school, a junior high football coach. Uh, he, he, t- he used to tell me that they won a, a thing called the Kumquat Bowl. That was, uh, <laughs> you know, he was a junior 
high football coach. And he's, yeah. So, you know, this is all in Florida. He loved Florida. You know, I, I think he, John is still probably living in Florida. And, uh, but uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, his relationship with Grover was really interesting because there were kind of two different kind of personalities. You know, uh, Hargrove was always, a, you know, he, he had he was, had a million ideas. He wanted to do this. He wanted to do that. You know, and 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 Mike was a little calmer. You know, a little little more even keeled. You know, he could keep the peace in the locker room. Uh, you know, so but you know, so they kind of butted heads now and then. But I think it was really a good blend, you know, of personalities, and that was you know kind of fueled that team as well. Yeah, it, it worked out for so long. Uh, what's John Hart's legacy in Cleveland? What uh, what should fans take away from who John Hart was and what he meant to uh, the franchise and the organization? Well, I think it was a renaissance, a renaissance of baseball in Cleveland. Uh, six six AL Central titles and uh, two trips to the World Series, and uh, you know maybe if it if it wasn't for uh, Jacobs Field, if it wasn't for Dick Jacobs, if it wasn't for you know, the Browns leaving town, if it wasn't for, uh, you know, John Hart, Hank Peters hiring John Hart and then Danny O'Dowd and bringing that front office together, who knows if Cleveland even has a baseball team now, you know, right. so, you know, you, you, but I think that was a, a big, uh, that was a turning point in the history of the franchise. The only thing missing was a World Seri Series title. Right. All right. That's going to wrap up today's edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow with another memorable uh, Cleveland baseball personality. Hopefully some more progress in the labor talks, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.